Hey you, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. Your host today is me, Mishka Katkov, and we are going to talk about launching and scaling a mid-core game in 2020. We have fantastic guests, as always. Today we have Riku Raccola, CEO of Traplight, and we have Filippo De Rose. I pronounced it in the wrong way. Anyway, Filippo is the uh, head of growth for Traplight. Uh, we're going to talk about a few interesting things. First of all, of course, we're going to talk about Traplight. If you don't know the company, they've released a game called Battle Legion not so long ago, and it's a super amazing game. You should download it ASAP as you're listening to this podcast. Uh, anyway, we're going to talk about Traplight. We're going to talk about how they make games. What were the sort of a pivotal moments in their journey? So even though their latest game is, is really booming, they've actually been in business since, I think, 2010. Yes, I remember correctly. Um, we're going to talk about Battle Legion, how that game came to be. Um, what were the sort of early experience? And they have a very interesting way they developed this game because essentially it was live throughout the whole development phase. And most importantly, we're going to talk about scaling Battle Legion. It's a mid-core game. Traplight brought Filippo to scale the game. So we talk about what it is like to come in as a growth lead, what has to be there, what are you looking for, and what are your first sort of a first steps and how to build trust with the with the company as you start scaling the game. Anyways, check out Battle Legion and check out Traplight, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. And please review, rate, you know, DM and connect with the guys on the podcast. And you're probably wondering who sponsors such an amazing podcast. Well, of course, this podcast episode is brought to you by Iron Source. And no, Iron Source is not a spinach-based nutrition company, as their name might suggest, but they're actually a game tech company which builds technologies that help you guys to take your games to the next level. The company is developing a, the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets Iron Source apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly, aka positive, ROI positively, Iron Source is the perfect partner for you. We are de- we at Deconstructor of Fun are giant fans of Iron Source, as you know, because it truly is a growth platform that developers of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on to Iron Source, so ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Folks, most mobile advertisers are increasingly aware of the dangers of app install fraud. In fact, global financial exposure to app install fraud in the first half of 2020 was $1.6 billion. And even though the mobile ad industry has grown exponentially to defend itself properly against ad fraud, the potential amount of damage is still extremely high and fraudsters will always want a piece of that pie. Now, fraud methods are constantly evolving and adapting to solutions in the market. Still, staying protected and applying sophisticated anti-fraud solutions are very much a necessity for all marketers. As you all know, our good partner AppSlyer offers super robust fraud protection, making sure you're not paying for that bogus traffic. AppSlyer is also perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile, a true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive that marketing success. And listen, it's not only us at here at Deconstructor of Fun raving about AppSlyer. Playrix, Tencent, Playtica, Square Enix, Huge Games, all of these companies and many more are using AppSlyer to boost their business. So 
go to appsflyer.com and get yourself attribution and fraud protection you can trust. So what's up, guys? Really happy to have both of you here. Uh, Riku, Riku Raccola, and Filippo De Rose. Did I pronounce that right, Filippo? Uh, that works fine, thanks. Okay, so that was wrong, <laughs> but I was definitely right on Riku Raccola. <laughs> so that's... All right, guys, you are representing Trap Life. It's one of the most interesting podcast episodes I've recorded because I've been a fan of Trap Life for years now, and it's it's been well documented, whether it's on Twitter or my Battle Legion account. So I've been following closely. And finally, finally, through a really long soft launch, the game is now out and live and growing and scaling. So I wanted to get you guys online to talk about, first of all, sharing a lot of the background of what has happened with Traplight. And Rico, of course, you've been, you've been an entrepreneur for a very long time and, and have gone through this path. And second part is, how are you able to scale? Because there are a lot of companies that are scaling, but not a lot of them are as, as small as Trap Life. And you're gaining that traction really well right now. So it's really interesting to scaling a mid-core game, which is not typical. Everybody's scaling merge games and hyper-casuals and whatnot, but you actually are scaling a mid-core game. So without further ado, Rico, how did you get started? And how big is Trap Life now? And most importantly, there's a lot of pivotal moments that weren't in Trap Life. Can you talk about those? Yeah, sure. And, and thanks, Miska, for having us uh, on this podcast. Yeah, we, we well, going back straight to the beginning, we st uh, started at 2010 already. So we actually just turned 10 years old this April. So it's been quite a long road for a mobile game studio. And um, yeah, shortly about the background, we uh, all the three founders, we uh, basically started before the uh, before the, the iPhone and touchscreen revolution. So in the, in the previous era of mobile gaming on, on Java-based games and so forth. So in the first wave and, and uh, yeah, when the iPhone came out and when the business was growing and the new app stores begin to open up, we really wanted to do something and uh, something different and work on our own games. So we started a new studio at the, at the time because the timing just seemed, uh, you know, good for that. And um, yeah, the first game we, we launched was called The Hero and we uh, published it through Chilingo at the time. And it was kind of the straight when we started the company that was kind of the out of the box product that we put out. So we've been working on that product for, uh, you know, previously before we even had that company. So we kind of started off by just, you know, like we're going to build a game that we, uh, you know, want to do and something are like our own creation. And, and when we started the company, we, we got it out and got some money and kind of with our small first office and so forth. So there was only three guys at the beginning. And, and then obviously the game still didn't make us rich at, the point, at that point. So we had to uh, think of something, what we're going to do next. Are we going to work on a new game or are we going to do some, some you know, kind of like contract work and kind of go, go through that route. And, and uh, yeah, then we got con uh, actually contacted by uh, some of the people who've seen the game and they thought it was really quite good quality. So, so we actually started to work with clients. Biggest client was Redlins at the time. And they're basically, yeah, that's what we did for three years. So we hired a bunch of new guys to work on the different projects and uh, just went the traditional route. But we didn't have any understanding of, you know, where to go for any investors. And we didn't know anything about that kind of business. So that was kind of the first big pivotal point when we uh, started to find investors to 
just work on our own stuff, not doing the contract work. And, and yeah, that's, that was a pivotal moment in the end of 2013. And then we basically went to, uh, to become a real like indie studio working with investors and building our own stuff. Yeah, and yeah, you asked about the different pivotal moments. So yeah. kind of, you know, yeah, I, I would say the first after obviously just learning to be an entrepreneur and running a company, that was the first kind of like a big undertaking. We we haven't, you know, nobody, nobody of uh, any of us didn't have any experience of running a company. So that was the first thing, obviously, in the first three years. And then then the pivotal moment was the, the looking for an investors because we didn't know any. We tried started to try to find one and. Uh, it was a long road and then yeah the first round it took like six months to close we were running out of money we actually lost the big customers on the contract side so we we're in a really tough tough uh, position so that was one of the we're done moments but but then and again you, we, you were sleeping at the office right at that yeah moment. yeah i was actually yeah i lived at the office for, for many months and uh, we actually had to lay out many people at the lay off many people at the time and uh, yeah but those those people they actually came back to work with us once we got the funding and so forth so it's uh, yeah it was a, like we learned a lot with that experience obviously yeah that's brutal and then um, you released uh, so you so there was this the, the first part of the hardmanship like you started off with blue eyed and we're going to make the next angry birds or a similar type of game yeah. that happened then you go for work for hire and then at some point you got back like you got an investment and you made your first game and that was the uh um, that was the, the racing game where you were able to create the levels. I forgot the name of the game. Big Bang Racing, yeah. So it kind of ha happened in a way that we pitched this concept uh, to the investors that we want to build like a UGC game. It was a very ambitious idea, building something like Little Big Planet at the time and so forth. And then it kind of uh, had this evolution where we kind of simplified it, but it still was very ambitious with the user generated content. But if we came out with a racing game and we kind of wanted to form the company to build these UGC titles. And uh, yeah, that, uh, that was a big pivotal moment, obviously, when we finally released that game, but that took us many years. So that was, the game was released in 2016. So that was like over three years easily building that game. And, uh, and yeah, that was, that was one of the then big pivotal moments um yeah well, yeah. yeah i think it was i think that what's interesting there is like you made this like you finally got the investment you made your dream game for per se yeah it took you a long time to make that dream game but the dream game didn't become a dream didn't get the dream result and i think no. i know a little bit of the backstory naturally we've talked before and what's really interesting is like how you went from this dream game to your next type of development process which was you outline in your own blog and I remember reading it through the blog and I remember visiting you guys. It was really interesting. So can you talk about going from that one big bet to the next phase that kind of pivoted your company and, and your ways of working? Yeah, actually that's, that's one of the, the we're done moments was in, you know, after the big bang racing, obviously we, we, we wanted to build a scalable game, but, and, you know, we succeeded in creating a really high quality game with, with you know, very good ratings we got a lot of initial love from Apple and Google and so forth because the game was just quite unique in that in that in that category of games. And then we obviously spent a lot of time figuring out now how do we fix this great game to be economically viable? You know, how, how do we make money off this game? And you know, after a year, it was kind of like uh, you know it's still running, but we got frustrated about the project. And of course, the team starts to have a fatigue obviously when they've been building something for years and years and uh, 
that was the, the, the other pivotal moment. So, so we, when we actually, we managed to raise more money, which was really good. We found a great investor at the time who believed in a team that, you know, the, the quality is excellent. Now we just have to nail the product. We have to find something that works uh, as a free-to-play title. And, and yeah, that kind of kick-started the change in the company that we really had to evaluate the whole, whole process of, of, of building games and, and coming out with ideas. So, so in 2017, we, uh, we split the company to many small teams, you know, as, as seen from a great example by Super, uh, Supercell, for example, that the, it's, uh, we wanted to do something similar. So basically not to spend a huge amount of time perfecting the game and creating this kind of masterpiece, but just just running a very like uh, efficient re, like uh, pre-productions and then getting the, the prototypes out as fast as possible and then actually getting it to Google beta and testing it. So. That's how the new process of, of doing doing things started. Perfect, and and that and that sort of a, that new process going from from big game to to several small ones. It was it was really interesting. Um, I, I remember just reading from your blog. It was years back when I read it. It was sort of a way that you had like clear rules on how you're making a game. I think it was like one week to make the design, and then there was. Can you, do you do you remember how how it functioned or? Yeah, I don't remember the details, but the, but the whole idea is we, we basically made this kind of like a um, pre-production and prototyping mm -hmm. kind of like a structure with, which the different teams could follow because we understood that the, every team needs to have their like, uh, they need to have rules in a way, in a way that, you know, they can have much as much freedom as they want, but they have to be able to deliver, have some deliverables, have some clear you know timelines and goals so so we we tried to outline this process but of course there's no perfect process so yeah you know for one team that might work for a second team they might need to have a little bit longer time and this depending on the game idea so it's it's really different to produce a hyper casual title than a, like a full flow mid core mm -hmm. title so yeah but we, yeah we still try to do that we try to give a, keep kind of like a structure and guideline on how how to build those yeah and that led to a lot of different prototypes that that one of the prototypes was battle legion and and your yeah. approach was to launching really quickly so that you can see the numbers so instead of like you know marketability testing you already had what you would call almost a vertical slice that you can test them the uh, the retention with and i mean to some extent some of the marketability and you put it i believe in google early access right yeah yeah very early on so so yeah that's that's why i, I yeah, this game, the whole game was basically developed in, in soft launch mode. So we actually launched it in Google beta like three months, like 12 weeks after the prototype started. So super fast. So after that, it was already out there. So that's why the game kind of went through all these iterations and, and we added a lot of design. We added a lot of features over time and, and it was basically just a really, really long soft launch. So the whole, whole game being developed uh, kind of live state. So, so that, that, that's really unique. Like not a lot of companies would do that where they, because normally the, uh, the approach is they would put a game into the soft launch. Like if you, not normally, but the companies that move really fast are really agile. They put a game into soft launch and then they see the earlier metrics and then they kind of take it down and then work on it and then put it up back. Like what led you to keep it uh, in the early access? And would you do that again? Like, like what was the experience from that? Yeah, actually... That's a good question. I, I, I think in hindsight, like, yeah, that might have been better at some point, probably, to pull it out and kind of work on it. Uh, but then again, we were doing a lot of these 
kind of tests and 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 also started to build that core community very early on in mm. the game. So we didn't want to kind of upset the players. That but we were we were pretty like uh, um, mindful of trying to keep the game under wraps. So not going to too many different markets, just having a few markets and 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 trying to consciously avoid. You know, uh, obviously it's usually a good thing if you can get a lot of players in the game. But we we were trying to avoid that in the in the early stage. Mm. Uh, because of the, you know, obviously it's a big, big problem changing things and people have expectation. And if the core community gets too big in the early stage, then you're going to be spending a lot of time trying to manage those expectations. Yes. And yes. And that's, and, and that, that was because that's the most interesting part because when you keep a game in, in a certain area, whereas there's, especially with, with that type of a small launch, you kind of exhaust the player base in the sense. So, and every change that you're making, you're making it already to players that are not new. So it's hard to know what's what's really kicking and what's not because you're testing with the players that are either fans or or have gone through multiple different tests. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so that that was that's why I was asking. Like, would you, like in hindsight, would you do it differently, or or would you recommend this type of process? Yeah, I think it was the right process for this game. But I mean, if if uh, the, the the kind of if we would have known from the beginning that the game. Because it, it was supposed to be like honestly a little bit smaller smaller game. It was like that was the you know that was the kind of idea when it started. Okay, so we're gonna do this quick thing. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna be much smaller. But then we saw a lot of potential with the numbers and kind of how people took the game. So we so we kind of like uh, we have to think bigger with the game. So that's why kind of like if we would have known from the start, obviously that's very difficult that we're gonna be building. A true mid-core game with with as deep monetization as we're now doing and and putting all the events and stuff that we're adding now in, we prove probably a good route would have been to you know take it down after the initial yeah. you know uh, kind of pr proven core and then to work on it for for uh, some time just you know in peace and privacy. Okay, got it. So so for those listening who have a very very promising game in a very early stage you might think about taking it down and working on it more if that's if that's the case. Yeah, yeah. Um, so can you talk about like, I mean, when I played the game for the first time, maybe two and a half years ago, it, it was really new. And it was really cool. It was it was fun, even though you had like five different troop types, you know, the dogs and the barbarians and the archers. I mean, everything was cool. All the sounds and whatnot. There was no monetization. How did you know that you had hate on your hands? Was it something that that you understood? internally or was it something that you needed numbers to verify with yeah obviously you always have a hunch internally when when people are playing it at the office and you know they are enjoying it and kind of you can feel it from the teams but but then again we will learn not to trust it in the sense that you mm -hmm. you do need to have those those early early kpis you have to get those metrics early on and obviously with that game it, it was our best you know ever like early test we we got the highest uh, retention and uh, you know and, and engagement especially like session time and so forth for such a you know rough prototype with no meta game components nothing that would you know hold the player there for weeks and weeks but it was just very rough so we weren't actually even trying to in the first test obviously we, we weren't kind of taking that much note on the d7 or you know further on the retention mm -hmm. curve it's just focusing on the d1 will people come back or what's the d3 what is the session length because because we already had had uh kind of like benchmarks from big bang racing and some of the other prototypes so 
So yeah, we just saw better numbers that we we have used to seeing. So that was clearly a good indicator. Yeah, and, and at that point, like you're you're a small company that has limited funding, and you're not getting a lot of revenue from your existing uh, titles. So essentially, you have to make quick decisions of what you are gonna do, and what you and and. The good part is you have a game that is resonating really well on the market. Like the, the core game is just outperforming anything. So you're in a, you're in an interesting position. Like what led to the, uh, the next stages, basically, like how did you make the decisions to, to push on your own? And I believe now you're with EQT uh, and they're helping you guys to grow. Like what, what kind of decision tree led you to, to going with, uh, with EQT and, and other investors? Uh, play and, and so forth rather than um, rather than just selling it to the Zingas of the world or I don't know if it's, if it's too small of Zynga but more like mini clips or, or others that are investing into very promising studios yeah I think yeah well obviously it's the kind of uh, first of all with the game uh, yeah we resource wise if I start from there we we had to make a decision in the company that what do we focus on so we we still had a couple of other prototypes running at the time when we got those metrics from Battle Legion and mm. that kind of started the discussion that, you know, we wanted to grow the team to be able to work faster. And as you said, with the limited resources, we had to do those decisions to, to focus on, on a single product eventually, because there's so much different, you know, especially when you're growing, going closer to launch, you have to start to think about other things as well, not just the product development, but scaling UA marketing, community management, etc. So. Mm. So kind of we uh, we killed eventually the other tracks and kind of just moved to work on work on the single game, and then of course when you start to get those interesting metrics as you, as you mentioned you get a lot of you let, get a lot of interest from uh, different parties and then you end up discussing with the with you know bigger companies who end up end up invest uh, like discussing with investors so. So yeah, that, that was a big discussion, you know, what we want to do. And we were in a lucky, lucky situation where the, the game really kind of like people understood when they saw it and, and that, you know, accompanied with the, with the great metrics, we, we got a lot of attention and we had to make that call. And it just, I think for us, it was a decision of, of you know, do we trust this game that this can be big? And, and when, we, when we kind of, you know, understood that this is something really cool that we're working on and the entire team believes in it. Uh, we wanted to continue with, uh, with the investors and, and try to see how, how, how far we can push it. So That's yeah, it was definitely a discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, what is a lot, was it a long discussion? Because here's the interesting part. You have been an entrepreneur at that point for quite a long time yeah. and, and gone through, through the, uh, the ups and downs and, and mainly the, the downs. Now you're like feeling like, Oh my God, this could be a huge up. So it's just, it's an interesting, it's a, for me, it's just interesting to hear about how do you make that decision? Because either you take, you know, the money now or you invest into your future. Was it, was it like a, a deep discussion with your co-founders? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was. So we, we had that discussion and of course, weighed, weighed every, every option that we had and, and so forth. But, but yeah, then I, I would have to say that EQT was very, uh, they made a really good offer and it's, uh, and they just, you know, Obviously, we had a lot of respect for them being, you know, so close to the to that big success story from Finland with the, with the yeah. small giant games, and yeah, they had yeah. seen that route, how the game grew, and so forth. So, so I, I think EQT was a kind of like a very good partner for us at that point. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. I mean, really good investor, of course, with Small Giant, and and I understand the the compelling story of like do it on your own, get to a certain point, and then take a look again, and and don't sell too quickly. So uh, a very good investor, I have to say, in, in that sense. Um, so let's talk about Battle Legion, and let's get Filippo as well while talking. He's sitting there with his Battle Legion shirt, just waiting, waiting, <laughs> waiting to to share some knowledge. So, so what's really interesting is, is as I said in the beginning, there's not a lot of mid-core games being scaled as as um, from from smaller companies in such an effective way as you have been doing. So you had an extremely, I would say, an extremely long soft launch because you essentially developed this game throughout the soft launch. Um, so how did you start scaling the game? And, and for Filippo, it's kind of like, what were the first steps? You're coming in, there's a lot of data accumulated from a very long time. There's a lot of, pro a lot of, not a lot, there's a tremendous amount of expectations for this game. So how, how do you kind of come in and, and from, from the outside, you're able to basically start from the beginning and look at the, uh, look what you have and think about how you're going to scale. Great numbers, long times in the soft launch, uh, good resources now that you've run through the investment. Uh, so, so what's the next step? Like you got the money, you got the game. What are we doing next? You mean the question is essentially how do you not succumb to pressure? <laughs> is that yeah, <laughs> essentially, yeah. So, and this is, this is important because, because again, we're talking about companies that, that are perhaps in a similar situation or are hoping to get in the similar situation as Straplight. Like you don't have infinite resources, but you, but you are able to, to come up with something that really sticks, a great core, a great game. And, then, and that doesn't count alone because you also need to grow it. You need to scale it. So you bring in an expert and Filippo being that expert, like what did you do? What, what was the next step? <laughs> Thank you for the uh, expert word. Appreciate that, but uh, I always say I'm still learning how not to do the job. Um, I would say that uh, it was it was good to to meet with the investors uh, first um, uh, while I was meeting with with Riku, and uh, I always found a very honest and direct relationship with Riku, and I think that that's really important. I mean, at least that's my style um, because it's, you know, in the positions that we're in, there's going to be great moments. There's going to be rough moments. And we got to ride those together, whether they're fun or they're not fun. So, um, and uh, I think uh, Riku said a lot of uh, fun stuff about Traplight and um, his background. Uh, it's important to note, uh, not to brown nose Riku, but he uh, he listens a lot and uh, he likes to learn as well. So you can really talk about anything with Riku that is uh, obviously product related that he loves, but growth related as well. And he listens very carefully. And it's and it's hard to be an entrepreneur and listen uh, and take the advice of of people. Um, when you think you might know everything or you think you might have the answers to everything. Um, so in terms of what existed, uh, the, probably that's probably the, the biggest challenge still to this day is working with a group of people that already existed and had pretty uh, set ways on how to do certain things. 
Um, it's an interesting challenge to kind of evolve into a more performance-driven, revenue-driven company. Uh, as far as the data is concerned, you know, uh, correlation is not equals causation. So it's nice to look at uh, historical data. It's also nice to know that most of it was probably a waste of time anyway, because uh, things in the game have changed or were changing so rapidly that you could argue that we were just dealing with a new game, at least from the point of view of marketing. Uh, so it was, it was interesting info, but it wasn't really relevant because there was a turning point, uh, one of those aha moments when the metagame was restructured and the names, the, the numbers really uh, turned around uh, significantly. So the unit economics were, were working very well. Um, and, uh, you know, in my, in my point of view, that, that's what really makes the alignment of the stars. When you have a number of, of KPIs and it's not just ROAS, uh, that kind of all sing to the same tune successfully. Um, so basically, yeah, the, the, the ROAS started looking good. The retention started looking good still. And we uh, started testing. Uh, as always, like many other many other companies out there, Facebook, and uh, and you know things looked pretty good. We we could see that you know there was there was room to grow. So, so what are what are the what are the sort of a first steps that a, that a growth lead does when they come into like you because usually what happens in any company, whether it's big or small, the people who are to scale a game come in later to the game. And they have a, a sort of a unattached view, whether you're working in the same company or not, whether this would be an Activision or you'd be a studio of Activision, they would come in and like, all right, what am I working with? It's like a doctor coming in to, to do a surgery. So what's, what's okay? Like, what's the problem? Let's, let's see. Let's see if I can do. So what does, what does a growth doctor do at this point? Like, like, how, like what, what, how do you, how do you, cause from, from a product perspective, the way we see it is like, listen, dude, you got an awesome chance. We have, we have a game, the numbers are great. So can you just grow this? But from your perspective, you're like, okay, I have a challenge. I have to solve this. Like, how do you, like, is it like, what do you do? Like, what is your, what is your hit list? Do you look at the team with like the growth team? Like, how do you establish that? Uh, what kind of numbers are you looking at? Is it the ROAS or, 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 you know, what, what are the steps? Uh, classic marketing answer. It depends, right? But uh, uh, the first thing I would say is, you know, again, uh, in this situation with, with this kind of setup, you know, this kind of CEO and board, um, I was very concerned about being very clear to each other, uh, myself and Riku, like, this is what we can do in time, in, you know, in terms of time to break even. Um, and if we have this risk tolerance, mm -hmm. we can, you know, wait to break even this much further out, but then we need to be honest to ourselves and say, but wait a minute, do we have enough content to break even in 180 days? You know, sure. The maths make sense. The regression makes sense, whatever power curve makes sense, but then you might only have five units, like you said before, and 10 levels, and it's not enough to to hope that users will stick for another six months. Mm. So you need to be as, as realistic as you can to ensure that you're not, you know, 
build some lofty growth plan that goes on for 10 years and breaks even in God knows how long, you know, it's, you have to really take it iteratively and step by step and be willing to uh, be really kind of flexible to change that you, you know, uh, we were assuming that we were just going to bootstrap our growth, uh, but then we got another raise, so uh, we can be a little bit more comfortable uh, and uh, take a little bit more risk. Uh, but still, we've we've kept a pretty aggressive window in general um, because there are so many external factors. We're not going to open up that can of worms, <laughs> and let's say IDFA, etc. Yeah, of course. Uh, but you want to also take into account things that you cannot control, right? So to this day, there's still a lot of people saying, you know, how much organic lift am I going to get, and how many features? Um, and certainly, you know, while you can sort of hope for them, you can't really business plan for them, and so you need to have some level of uh, cushion in case the day is a little bit more rainy and also tolerance for risk right because you need to pay the bills and keep people fed so you really want to kind of get a correct high level overview of your financial health before you venture forth into more things um and then we yeah of course uh, established some important kpis um so ROAS is, is definitely one of them, but we still, you know, I think the key thing with Battle Legion is we were dealing with a product that had very good retention, really very good for its category. And obviously with the introduction of monetization, that retention was affected, but not adversely affected. So I think we want to consider, you know, upkeeping a strong retention uh, while upkeeping a strong ROAS and, 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 I think we fight with that balancing act every day, whether we're doing product, uh, marketing, UA, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. Um, so that's the, the balancing act we're all fighting. Hmm. Um, we don't, and we've predominantly focused on that, although, of course, there are other secondary KPIs. But, uh, you know, for, for risk of sounding cliche, yeah, the money and the retention is the important stuff. Um, and most importantly that you respect, you know, the times to break even, um, as, as you had predicted, because that can, you don't want to run into cash flow issues, especially when you're early stage. Um, so that's important. Um, and really, you know, the good thing about coming into a more, it, set up scenario rather than a you know zero level scenario is you already have lots of bits and pieces there so you have some analytics pieces in place then you have some creative pieces already there uh you you know so you have to kind of look at okay these creatives they, they look great but we need to kind of pick the best ones that we know of so far and retest them again because the game has changed again just like i said before the old data might not be so let's let's look at these creatives again in this new context and then start testing on new audiences etc etc so um let me take a break because you asked a long question so there's a lot of answers let me let me try to summarize it let me try if i'm correct so first of all you need trust because you're like any growth lead 
you need trust because you're coming in and you're spending spending ungodly amount of money on marketing <laughs> whoever is in hold of, of that PNL is looking like oh my god <laughs> like, like is this is this really there and if you don't have the trust that's going to be a, a very short-lived relationship if somebody's spending and and you're going to make some misses and that's the big, biggest issue is like you're going to spend a couple of hundred thousand to a wrong direction and if you don't have that trust um before that you will for sure not have the trust going forward from that and that's going to be a long-lived growth curve for for that person uh, so that's number one and i understand trust really well uh, then the second part is resources and resources in the sense of what kind of people do you have what kind of platform do you have how much money do you have what is your war chest essentially to to play around with and the risk appetite is probably part of the both risk, both trust and resource elements. So you have to, in order to establish the trust, you have to establish what are our resources and what is the risk appetite that we're taking. So that gives you the boundaries inside which you're working. And then inside those boundaries, once you understand, uh, once you have your clear um, path or not path, but the boundaries, and once you understand what you can do, then you set the KPIs in order to operate inside these boundaries uh, to achieve the growth. Is this the way I would summarize? That's a beautiful, yeah. That's a that's a beautiful summary, indeed. Oh, um, I listen. I listen. <laughs> thank you. Uh, no, no. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely say that. Um, again, personally, the biggest challenge is, I, 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 historically, I think professionally, I've been kind of used to coming in at ground zero, and I didn't quite come in at ground zero. Um, but I think, compounded with the fact that here is now trap light really entering its next life, you know, going from super garage style indie, right, um, to, you know, the next 10 million, yeah. 20 million. Well, let's be yeah. honest, the, the office wasn't in a garage, it was actually in the city center of Tampere. True. Right. Nice. True. <laughs> the office is very nice, not a garage, very, very nice view of Tampere. Uh, so definitely, but that's the whole point. I think you hit the nail on the head. The trap light, I think, coming in from the outside, that was my perspective. There was definitely a critical kind of momentum, right? Where there were a bunch of teams and a bunch of people, probably not everyone, but the, the vast majority were ready to kick into high gear into the next phase of the company. So, um, Enrico, of course, was, uh, was there leading that chart. So I think, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's an important point because if you don't start thinking around more numbers, around more data, you can be the growth doctor all you want. You're going to have an entire organization to convince otherwise and to like push uphill with you. And that's just, that's a very time consuming, uh, you know, it's a very exhausting experience. So, so um, let me ask you this. When is the right time? And actually Rico as well. When is the, uh, when is the right time to bring a growth lead? Uh, like, should you have Rico brought a growth lead? Like, like you have brought Filippo earlier and Filippo, should you have come in earlier in your, or is this the perfect time? Because well, a lot of companies are definitely thinking about this, that they have certain, like, yeah. when do you invest into, into that person? Million dollar question. Uh, Rico, please answer. <laughs> if I can go first, then let's see if we have a different view on this. But, but, but I think I actually... When you sent me these questions, Miska, before, and I, I actually, uh, one of the key moments I, I, I didn't mention 
you know, the earlier I was talking about this, was to bring this uh, crazy Italian guy on board because that was kind of the, the one of the pivotal moments in, in, in early this year. Thank uh, you. He was obviously qu quite late in the sense that, uh, you know, we were quite close to global launch and we actually, the plan was to global launch even faster uh, than this, but there's always delays. So that gave us a little bit of time ahead. But I think it was for us, luckily, uh, in my opinion, quite good timing in a sense, because I wouldn't want to bring growth lead, uh, at least in, you know, obviously there can be different kind of growth leads in the, depending on, on what is the stage of the company and what you need to do. Because, you know, we managed pretty well with the, obviously the soft launch, launch campaigns. That, that is much more simpler task to do that, basically. Just, you know, check on the kind of get early data about the creatives and, and just getting people in to test the new features or iterations. That's a bit different process than the UA at the time. But definitely, I, I think that was the big pivotal moment uh, when Filippo joined us because we, he really kicked off, like, kicked off the, the, the mentality of, of not just looking at the data on the features, but combining that with the, with the UA data and how, how to actually scale from here. And, and also brought a lot of trust to me because I was actually, I was really scared of spending money in a sense, kind of like, because as you said, Miska, you can always do mistakes. Uh, you just have to have that tolerance and you need to have that faith to do that. But if you, if you don't have a specialist who's, who's walked that road before, you know, spending millions of, of dollars on UA, for us, for me, it was really scary because I, I couldn't see it past that 40 day window, 30 day window. It's, it's, it's really hard if you don't know how to, how to you know, what are designs to look for and, and how do things work and so forth, especially when you're scaling and you don't know all the data beforehand and you're opening new markets, you don't know how it's going to look. And you have, yeah. So I, I think it was the right time for us, at least in my sense. You know. uh, yeah, I, I mean, the, everything that Rico said is absolutely right. I mean, the, the, to be fair, Rico and I met a, a while ago um, and Battle Legion was in absolutely embryonic stage. So we didn't even talk about Battle Legion. And uh, through conversation, we realized that, uh, you know, some of the stuff that they were working on um, was probably not the best choice in terms of growth. Um, and, and I mean, Big Bang Racing was very interesting, but UGC is, is it just needs a, a totally different you know company behind it really it's it's a tough one if you can get it right great it's a it's an amazing money maker but it's it's hard um so when we then spoke about battle legion the tone of the conversation had changed um and it was about looking at what you know what is the situation now if i think if i joined earlier they would have hated me because ever since I joined was let's launch <laughs> and not because I'm biased and I want to do marketing. No, it's, it really is about looking at the real numbers. Actually. I really, I was dying to see more numbers to get a clearer picture and a clearer sense of where is this going? Uh, and in hindsight, I'm so glad we didn't <laughs> because uh, we needed to make some important changes to the product um but you know there isn't really i think what riku said hit the nail on the head it depends on the the type of growth lead that you're 
you're looking for. So if you're looking for somebody who's kind of used to like a, a bigger company, more structured, and just uh, your everyday run-of-the-mill lead initiatives, uh, it's a bit different in this scenario. This is a this is a different kind of scenario when when you're at ground level, uh, you need to do certain things. And most certainly, we did officially have sort of like a, even though it was out for two years, we sort of had a an official kind of soft launch time between April and and July when we launched, where we really had some important test investments and we looked at specific campaigns and we looked at you know the numbers there and what was the potential there and that was for growth a totally aha moment to say okay we're ready for launch that's why i said i regret <laughs> insisting so much because before that i didn't have the aha moment then we did uh, <laughs> and uh, we were like okay we've got to go to market come on let's go then i really hit the gas like come on come on come on so so kind of going back to to your experience from us. So, okay, actually, one thing that I wanted to ask: How did you end up at Traplight? Because Felipe, before that, you were in the U.S., right? You worked at Pixabay. Oh God, that's yeah. Uh, no, I know how Rick ended up in Traplight. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, um, like because you no, mentioned EQT. Like, you, you was it was this an introduction done done by an investor? Like, how? Did, yes, uh, a few years ago, I met Initial Capital. Um, a wonderful gentleman who I believe is at now Sweet Capital called uh, Matteo Lavoni. And yes, he is Italian, but I don't tend to just mingle with Italians. So just FYI. Nothing wrong with very, that. <laughs> very, uh, no, I'm just saying, you know, I'm, I'm beyond that as well. Uh, meeting other people is nice. And I met that Matteo, and Matteo introduced me to Riku. Um, and uh, that, was, uh, that was great. I mean, I think when, when Riku and I met, it was kind of cool because I think we sort of, somehow there was a good, there was a good uh, chemistry. Um, and at the time, yes, I was in the US. And then I returned to Europe for other reasons. Uh, and then uh, rekindled the conversation with Riku. And coincidentally, he was uh, at a conference right next door to me. So uh, I went to say hi. Uh, took him to the worst restaurant ever possible. It was super embarrassing, uh, but we hit it off. There you go, because that's what matters: the company, not the food. Yeah, uh, but it's not really culinary uh, destination. So, well, <laughs> we, yeah. So we met in the Netherlands and stuff. But no, COVID aside, I would have been regularly flying to Tampere right now, especially right now. Um, and uh, and uh, it's great. I mean, when, when I'm there, I mean, sure, the food might not be amazing, but. Uh, the atmosphere, I, I have to say, and I, and I don't say it because you two are Finns, but if you love gaming like we do, uh, Finland, it really is, <laughs> I, hate to, I have to say, it, the mecca of gaming. I mean, it's just like, you know, let's go for a drink. And uh, it's just random bar and it has a bunch of consoles. And you can, <laughs> anywhere you go, you play games. What? I have to ask Rico, like, uh, can you talk a little bit about, because I'm, I'm in Helsinki and usually when people consider Finnish gaming industry, it's mainly in Helsinki. Like everybody's here from Ubisoft to EA to Supercell to Rovio to Zynga to Small Giant, you name it. They're all in the five blocks. What is the gaming scene in Tampere like? Because Tampere is, is um, about um, two hours train ride away from Helsinki. Yeah. Well, this you know, gaming scene here, especially on the mobile side, a lot of small small studios, obviously. So I think that's still the case. 
obviously some of the studios have now got funding and they're growing a little bit and so forth but but you know overall as you know as far as young developers young talent you know small studios it's here uh, there's a bunch of them uh, hiring wise obviously we we had to being a Tampere company and and especially obviously working you know with the with limited amount of funding at this times and you know and kind of like a not so known company we couldn't just obviously attract a, a lot of talent from Helsinki you know we didn't have the tools so we kind of like got this strategy a few years ago like past three four years ago that uh, we're just gonna have a lot of you know tentacles out there to all the all the local you know schools and and then trying to find talent here because there's actually a lot of junior engineering talent and so forth and graphics talent as well and so forth so so we've been managed to hire pretty well in Tampere. that's been because we've been one of the, the kind of top dog studios in Tampere in in terms of you know what yeah. we have as, as you said we have a central office we have good funding in the back in the past and so forth so it's been surprisingly easy still to hire but then again when it when it comes to you know pushing that game out there on a, on a as a you know global launch product and, and you know getting those ambitious experienced people on board that has not been so easy i i don't even know how we managed to you know we managed to find philip but that was kind of like a like <laughs> godsend for us at that point but but you know we had to obviously kind of deal with the fact that we we need to hire people even if they are not in in, in finland or they cannot relocate so we kind mm -hmm. of moved a little bit more especially now with the COVID we kind of moved to more in the strategy that from acquiring junior talent and kind of training them to become seniors we're now in a stage where we're looking to hire a little bit more senior mm. I think this kind of shifted a little bit more towards that now that we have you know we're we're a little bit better known and we we have those resources and, and we have the experience now so it's for sure and as you're hiring talent is it like through the COVID has it changed in a way that you're not expecting people to to relocate or is it still like let's consider like let's say in a in a year covid is just a bad dream are you still expecting people to to relocate or or like what's how is your strategy there because you can so you're saying that organically you can grow quite well to get like sort of a, the grunts the, the base work but then some of the experts you, you need to source from from a little bit further away so uh, are you thinking about that or have have you even thought about like a Helsinki studio like that that kind of like all these kind of things that that probably a lot of people uh, are yeah, asking. I, I think I think honestly the, the the whole COVID thing has changed uh, you know our view for remote work to be much more positive than it, than it was in the past I mean mainly because we've seen how we've now been out of office for as, as well as you know a lot of other companies as well for for months and months now and uh and you know thing ha things haven't slowed down we haven't seen any real like you know downside with at least not yet obviously it's still nice to have those weekly get-togethers and actually you know kind of to beat the team spirit but but then again with this composition it has been working really nicely and and you know i, I think we're much more open to that that we can hire people you know and they don't they don't have to relocate necessarily so so but yeah, I'm still though. I'm trying to get Philip uh, down here at some point. But let's we, see. Okay, we are not. I have to. This bit, this bit is going to be cut out of the recording. Or <laughs> we're going to have to divorce lawyers and all this. I no, but jokes aside, we were uh, in, we were in this Google meeting with with Filippo there, and they asked him. 
there's a Finnish Google lead, and he asked him like Ilves or Tapper. And Finnish no idea. like he's like, um, I feel like I'm very unprepared for this question. What is this about? So for those who don't know, those are like the main two hockey teams of the city, and you always have to choose like it's the Manchester City versus Manchester United type of approach. He had no clue of what. <laughs> So I don't know how close my, that is. In my defense, though, these guys, I've been plenty of times to Tampere, and not once that somebody mentioned to me this. Oh. But, uh, um, no, I, I was going to say, I think uh, um, this is an important point. That I think, generally speaking, what has been the hardest with COVID is obviously company culture. Uh, that's, that's a big deal, especially the gaming studio. And we've just, just this past month or so we were trying to plan something to get everyone together and and it's just so hard and complicated um and what's really important is uh, trying to get a planning system that is because planning is harder when you're far away from each other from not face to face execution is the simple part of the model right um but i really want to get a message out there that i think we have a critical advantage in europe over the u.s and it's uh, having worked in the U.S., that we're really all in the same time zone in Europe, and Europe is a tiny continent compared to the U.S., so travel is actually super easy. Uh, I'm flying in from from Amsterdam to Tampere, and I, you know, I get up pretty early, but it's okay. Uh, I have kids, <laughs> and I arrive in Tampere for lunchtime. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, you know, by lunchtime, I'm having lunch a week or so, and, and it's the beginning of the week. So um, we have to consider that there is so much talent in Europe, and it's literally a stone throw away. Now, clearly, in some roles, you need to be close for functional reasons. Um, but we have learned with the, the COVID time that we simply are forced to keep even those functional roles far away. So I think we want to have that core studio culture and we want to have that beautiful uh, mentality, but we also want to appreciate that there's tons of talent all over Europe that is a stone throw away. Um, and and uh, yeah, and I think that that's really important for Finland because a lot of times people are like, oh, Finland, the Eskimos, the penguins, the guys. First of all, it's not like that. But secondly, you know, you can spend some time checking it out while you're living remotely, right? And then once you find that you're comfortable with it, sort of ease yourself in. You know? <laughs> it's not like, you know, uh, have to do that. Um, so that's what's happening in my domestic environment. We, we're slowly easing the concept. How about, you know, we'll see. So, so it's definitely maybe. So it's definitely maybe. That's not... No, it's definitely a maybe, for sure. For sure. Let's you Not to mention... The vibe, the gaming vibe is insane. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, it's worth every cold weather in the world. It really is. If you're into gaming, it's really just crazy. You're kind of, uh, you're kind of like a public figure there if you're into gaming. It's really surreal. <laughs> so, so not uh, to hold you any longer from your growth, let's end it up on this. Reiko and, and Filippo, what is Traplight like in 2022? <laughs> Two, yeah, I was calculating how, how many years, two years only. Two years, two years from now. It's pretty easy. Tell me about Traplight in 2022. Yeah, yeah, for, for
for me, I would like to see us, us being in, uh, you know, uh, owning this genre that we're now building. I mean, Battle Legion is obviously still running. It's bigger than ever, hopefully doing very well at that time. And, and then again, I, I do like to think that we want to get back kind of back to that process of building, you know, new prototypes as well, because we kind of ended that we had a great start on that. We did a lot of stuff and obviously there's always this kind of fire that we would at some point want to get back to that as well. But now obviously the timing is that we, we have so much stuff we can do with this game add a lot of interesting features, grow it. Now it's time to grow this game and, and you know, Hopefully this will be a stable game in a category in two years. And, and then we also have something other in the works as well. So that's, that's a short answer. So big studio in Tampere. Yes. So Philippe, I, uh, 22, apart from you and your three kids living in Tampere, what else is, has happened? I'm, I'm not going to be disgusting and say like several billion dollars worth. I'm going to say this is going to be the first of its kind uh, esports uh, game. Okay. All lots right. of sponsors, lots of, uh, you know, people dial, you know, connecting remotely and doing some crazy stuff. Yeah. Okay. So that's, so esports and living in Tampere and Traplight is, has a, at least two other games in soft launch. Nice. Yeah. Let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> maybe living in Tampere, maybe more like living in Helsinki, you know, maybe. Well, let, let's not, let's not get ahead of us. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So um, what, are, what is the best way to, for people who are listening to this podcast, if they have any questions or if they're interested in, in moving to Tampere in, in between now and 2022, what is the best way to connect with, with, with you guys? LinkedIn? Yeah, of course. LinkedIn, you can add us both in LinkedIn, obviously. And then if you're just interested about the, the studio, then of course, uh, traplightgames.com and uh, check out we, we we have positions open even now like i think we're looking for a server side talent and and, and somebody to do the data side so yeah, so there's definitely going to be uh you know uh, open positions there as well and easiest to contact is obviously through uh contact at traplightgames.com or, or then just uh, jobs at traplightgames.com so awesome yeah welcome on linkedin definitely. all right Thank you guys so much. Thank you for sharing a lot of information. I think this is super valuable for, for pretty much any company out there. Uh, and, and thank you for being so open and, and just telling everything. Thank you, Mishka. Great yeah. pleasure. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye.